0: Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 26 today. If you've been uh, with us, you know that we have spent some time in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, In this chapter, we've seen God give His ten words, the ten commandments. And then last Lord's Day and this Lord's Day, we've been looking at how the people responded to the ten commandments. And so last week, uh, we looked at how people responded in fear. Uh, because God's holiness uh, was before them, and in response to the holiness of God, they were scared. And so they asked God uh, that they might have a mediator, which is who Moses was. They needed somebody to go before God on their behalf, to come to them on God's behalf. And so Moses is that mediator. And so now what we see is Moses as the mediator is going before the Lord, and, and now begins a section in Exodus that we refer to as the book of the Covenant. Uh, In these next few chapters, what we'll see is really an unpacking of the Ten Commandments, the practical application of these things to the everyday life of the Hebrews. And prayerfully, what we'll see is practical application for us as well here today at Bloomfield Baptist Church. So we're going to read Exodus 20, verses 22 through 26, and out a reverence for God's Word if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read the text for us this Lord's Day. And this is what God's holy word says. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone, you shall not build of it hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by the steps of my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. If you would pray with me. Father God, as we come before you today and we read this word about altars and sacrifices, burnt offerings and peace offerings. Uh, Lord, this can seem a bit foreign to us today, especially when we consider how we worship You today. So Father, I pray that You might help us to better understand this Word and understand how Your Word to Your people at the foot of Mount Sinai about their worship directly relates to Your Word to us today about how we worship. We ask that You would do this And help us to see the gospel of Jesus more clearly as you do. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I've shared before that I became a Christian during my freshman year uh, in college. And during that time, uh, I was first exposed to the gospel through a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's known as CRU now and still uh, ministers on many university campuses. Uh, there were a number of tools and, and uh, Bible studies that were used then that are still used today uh, with that ministry. And, and one that I still remember over 20 years later uh, was an illustration about growing in our faith. And basically, basically for this illustration, uh, a guy just sat down with me, he drew this out on a napkin. He drew uh, a train uh, engine, a coal cart, and a caboose. And he said, this train uh, says a lot about your faith. And he went on to explain how the the engine of the train was the facts. The facts in the Christian life are God and his word. Uh, That coal cart represented my faith. He said your 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 faith should be dependent on the facts. The, The coal goes into the engine. That's what drives us in our faith. And he said that caboose represents our feelings. And what happens many times in the Christian life is rather than focusing our faith on the facts of God and his word, we focus our faith on our feelings. And when we do that, for example, with the train, if the coal shoveled into the caboose and said the engine it doesn't go anywhere, he said the same thing's true in your faith. And I remember as a very young Christian thinking about that illustration quite a bit. It it reminded me day in and day out of my need to root my faith in the fact of God and his word. And it's an illustration I still come back to today because I find so often in the Christian life, I find so often in the church, that, that we are tempted to be led by our feelings. We're tempted to be led by our emotions and our experiences rather than to be led by God's Word. And we should be mindful as we come to this place in Exodus 20 as God has brought His people out of their slavery in Egypt as He's taking them on a journey to the promised land that He doesn't just give them a spiritual experience at Mount Sinai. God does not gather His people there and say to them after giving the Ten Commandments, now remember how you felt when the ground shook. Remember what it felt like to hear the thunder and to see the lightning. Remember this experience you had. No, what God says to His people here in Exodus 20 verse 22 is to tell the people, He says to Moses, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. God is reminding his people of the critical importance of his word. And friends, we need to be reminded of that importance today. It's not that feelings have no place in the Christian life, but we can't put our faith in them. Because friends, what the scripture says about our feelings, about our heart, is that it deceives us. Our feelings change very quickly. And we may feel one way one moment, feel a complete different way the other moment. If our faith rested on the foundation of our feelings, we wouldn't have much of a foundation to rest on. But no, the Scripture informs us that our faith should rest in the Word. And so this morning, as we come to this point where now God is unpacking these Ten Commandments for Moses, especially as he begins with talking about worship and about how proper worship was to take place among God's people. I want us to consider the importance of God's Word, especially as we consider how we are to worship God. And so we're going to look at that, three points that you've got there in front of you. The first one is this. We are reminded that the Word teaches us how we should worship the Word teaches us how we should worship. Fundamentally, what we see here in Exodus 20 is that worship should be directed by God. God tells us how to worship Him. Now, He's already told us in the Ten Commandments how we should not worship Him. Now, you remember that first commandment, He alone is God, that second commandment. We should have no idols, no icons, no graven images. We shouldn't use these things as part of our worship. And so he's told his people, here's what you should not do. He's told them how they're to gather on the Sabbath. For us today, we gather on the Lord's Day. We come together to worship. Here he tells them in Exodus 20 that included in their worship, a vital component of it, would be the sacrificial system, uh, the sacrifices that would be made on on the altar. And we'll talk more about this as we continue in Exodus, but for now it's important to understand that there's two types of offerings that God mentions here. He says they're to make burnt offerings and they're to make peace offerings. Those peace offerings are also called in some translations fellowship offerings. Those burnt offerings would be offerings where an animal would be brought before the altar on behalf of the worshiper and it would be sacrificed in their place. It was not a magical transference of sin to that animal. Rather, it was symbolic. And so the person coming to worship God would bring their sacrifice. They would bring it to that altar. Uh, They would put their their hands on that sacrifice as it was killed. And that was symbolic of a death taking place for their sin. Ever since the garden and Adam and Eve, sin has always brought forth death. In fact, the first sacrifice we see was there in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they sought to cover themselves with fig leaves, with leaves, with plants. That wasn't sufficient. God covered them with what? With animal skins. How did we get those animal skins? He sacrificed an animal. There there was a blood sacrifice for the sin of Adam and Eve. We see that sacrificial system continue and here at the Mount at the foot of Mount Sinai, God is telling his people that they need to bring burnt offerings. And so what would happen is they bring that offering, it would be sacrificed in the place of the worshiper, then it would be placed on the altar, and then it would be consumed with fire. And so oftentimes you see in that burnt offering system this sweet aroma the Lord would speak of as as the smoke would raise up from that burnt offering. It would be completely consumed. Uh, But there was another type of offering. There was a peace offering. The peace offering also would be an animal that would be sacrificed, but rather than being consumed, part of that animal would then be eaten by the worshiper and perhaps by others. This was to have fellowship with one another. It was symbolic of the fellowship that they had now with God. They were at peace with God. And so you had one sacrifice that was to be symbolic of the atonement for sin, another sacrifice that was to be symbolic of now the peace between God and the worshiper. And so God tells his people here that when you make these sacrifices, it's very important how you make these sacrifices. He tells them to build an altar of the earth. In fact, he tells them that if they make one of stone, that they aren't to, to chisel out that stone and use tools to, to, to wield that stone, but they are to make it very simple, very simply out of the earth, out of that stone. Now, we'll talk more about altars here in a moment, but it's important to understand today that we no longer use altars. We no longer have burnt offerings or peace offerings. But God still is the one who tells us how it is we are to worship Him. It's important to recognize that here in Exodus 20, God doesn't gather His people at Mount Sinai, give give them His word, and then say to them, Now you guys just worship me in whatever way feels best to you. Well, whatever you really enjoy doing, that's how you should worship me today. No, God tells His people exactly how they are to worship Him then. And he tells us how we're to worship him now. And that worship is to be directed by God and the truth of who he is and not directed by man and the feelings or emotions we have. But I didn't get anything out of that today. You know, there are certain songs that we sing that I, just, I don't get anything out of. You know, I really like this style because I get a lot out of that. But, but this style, not, so I don't really get much out of that. Oh, Pastor Richard's preaching again today? Well, I don't get much out of his preaching. Now, we would never say anything like that, especially that last one. Would we? No, we say things like that all the time. So often we leave church on Sunday and we talk more about what we got or what we didn't get and we make worship about who. It so often is about us. It's about our opinions and our feelings and our emotions and our preferences. Notice here at Exodus 20, God doesn't pass around a sign-up sheet to His people and say, I want you to give me your top ten list of songs and we'll sing those. He doesn't ask His people, well, well, what ways do you like to worship Me? What really speaks to your heart? Now, what God does is He tells His people exactly how they're to worship Him in a way that brings Him glory. You see, worship's not about what you and I get out of it. It's about what God gets out of it. We're to glorify God in our worship. But we're so focused on ourselves so often we need to be reminded of that. And what reminds us of that is the Word. And the more we focus on the Word, the more we see the need to worship God through the Word. And so I'll let you know how this goes here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. Pastor Nick, Pastor Matt and I, we get together on a weekly basis. And we don't sit around and say, well, well, what do people like to sing? What's one everybody likes that we had not sang lately? What's the, do we have a request list this week? What we do is we sit down primarily, first of all, and we look at what is the text and what does it say? And then what hymns or songs are there available, old or modern, that best communicate what the Word of God says about this text that we're going to look at on Sunday? And then we seek to plan our worship from what we pray to the verses we read, to the songs and hymns we sing, to the verses that we teach. We plan those things around the Word of God. And then along the way, sometimes people get their preferences, sometimes people don't. But that is, I don't even say secondary, that's at the bottom of the list. Because our worship needs to be driven by the Word. The Word teaches us how we should worship. And we live in a day and age where there's far too much focus in churches today on emotions and experiences and the thought that somehow if we sing a certain way and we've got enough lights and got enough things going on and around the room, that that's just going to draw people in. It's going to give them this experience. Friends, our desire this morning is not to give you an experience. It's to give you the word Of our Creator God. And our worship must be driven by that word. He tells us how to worship in it. But not only that, point two there in your outline, the word teaches us who we should worship. Now you may hear that and say, well, that's kind of an obvious one, isn't it? I mean, we're to worship God, aren't we? Well, God felt the need to make the point. And he made it clearly there in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. He was speaking to a people who were coming out of a land where there were a plurality of gods. There in Egypt, there was a a god of the river, a god of the sun, a god of the field. There were so many different gods. And the Egyptian people worshipped all these different gods. And God's people were in this culture and they were consumed by it. And so God is reminding his people, you are not to have any other gods before me why he says don't have any icons, don't have any idols. Here he rhymes them again. Uh, you don't need any gold figures or silver figures or, or things that might represent other gods. And he even goes on to tell them that the altar itself doesn't need to be something that's well crafted. You see, that's what the pagans did. The Canaanites in this day, they would craft these elaborate altars with all types of carvings and icons and idols. We've even found through archaeology sites of Canaanite worship where these very things have been exposed. They were elaborate altars. And so God is setting his people apart here. He says, I don't even want your altar, your place of worship, to look anything like that of these pagans around you. They had all kinds of gross immorality involved in that. He mentions that. I don't want you to do things like they do. No, I want you to come worship me. We've said this before. It's not only important that we worship the right God, we must worship him the right way. And so God here is saying, here's the way to do it, and here's who you're to worship. And there should be no confusion among the land that you're in to the people of who it is you're worshiping. It needs to be clear that you are worshiping the sovereign, creator, true God. Set apart, holy, righteous. Is there any confusion as to who we worship today? I'll borrow in part an illustration from David Platt who heads our international mission board. He shared this in a different way. I'll I'll take part of what he shared, but imagine this scenario. Imagine someone were to come to our church last Sunday because they wanted to study how Christians worship. I imagine this was someone from another country, another culture. They'd never been exposed to any type of Christian worship. They had seen how Muslims worship. They'd seen how Hindus worship. They'd seen devout religions from all over the world and how they worship. But they'd never seen Christians worship. And so lo and behold, they landed here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. And just to make y'all feel at ease, let's say they came to the 8.30 service. By the way, I told them that they came to the 11. But anyways... So last Sunday, let's imagine they came here to observe our worship. They observed as we started that a number of folks came in late. They observed that as we started to sing that not everybody sang. They observed that some people struggled to stay awake. (laughs) And they observed that for those who did stay awake, they seemed to have interesting conversations going on with one another. Sometimes messages written back and forth on their worship notes, sometimes just flat-out conversations in the middle of the service. But they observed how so many people seemed distracted and tired. They observed how towards the end of the service, as the last fill-in-the-blank was filled in, the Bibles, for those who brought them, shut. As a symbolic way of telling the pastor, we're done now, right? Perhaps they observed as we sang one last song of worship together how several scooted out the back door to hurry up and get to their lunch. And maybe as they observed these things, they thought, well maybe that, you know, this is just how people are. I hadn't been to Bloomfield much. You know, this, maybe this is just the culture, there's just the people. Maybe they stuck around for a day with some of those same families. Maybe they stuck around to that Monday and they noticed a very different routine. As they seemed to be much more excited about an event taking place that day. In fact, that event seemed to be one that they had been preparing for and planning for and talking about for weeks and months. And so many of those families got up earlier than normal. Many of them got off work. Many of them drove hours away to park in a parking space. They paid hundreds of dollars to park in. They gathered together with hundreds of people, sometimes thousands who they'd never met before, smiling and shaking hands. They seemed so excited about what was about to happen. And then they stood there and they stared at the sky. And they had special glasses. They had prepared for this. And as they stared at the sky, there was a moment when the moon eclipsed the sun and the sky grew dark. And in that moment, applause erupted shouting. Some even shed tears. No one left early. No one got up and went to the bathroom. They just stood in awe of this event. And when it was over, they loaded up in their vehicles. Some it took three and four times longer to get home than it took to get there. But when asked about it, they said, oh, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. That was amazing. would that observer, what would that observer say we were worshiping? Which one of those best categorizes devotion and worship to someone or something? Now, I'll I'll let some off the hook here. Uh, I'm fully aware that for many of us as believers, as we witnessed that eclipse, we we witnessed it in awe of our creator God. In fact, I had the opportunity to gather together at Uh, Bluegrass Christian Academy with students and faculty there. We we read scripture, we prayed, we we watched that event in awe of our Creator God. I'm sure many of you did the same. But, But I hope you understand we live in a culture where many people witnessed that and they weren't in awe of our Creator God. They were simply in awe of creation. And they were following through very much on what Paul writes about in Romans chapter one verse twenty five where he says that people will exchange the truth about God for a lie and they will worship and serve the creature the creature rather than the creator. You see that that's our gravitational pull. Our gravitational pull is to have experiences and to feel something and to be in all of those things. But friends, we need to step back and consider at the end of the day, when we worship, who are we actually worshiping? Are we worshiping our Creator God? Or do we just get excited sometimes about creation and about stuff? Do, do we struggle to gather together with God's people on the Lord's day and to worship God in light of His word and yet we don't struggle at all to stay up late to watch a fight. And we don't struggle at all to go four hours early to a ball game and leave two hours after it's over. We, we struggle on Sunday mornings to stand here and open up our mouths to utter words that speak of the greatness of our God but we don't struggle at all to stand beside a stranger and to sing some chant, some fight song. Who are we worshiping? God reminds his people at Mount Sinai that their devotion is to be solely on him and not on other things. And so he says to them very clearly, listen, I don't want you to be like these pagan people. Don't make gods of silver or, or gods of gold. We look at that and we might think, Well, that's not our temptation, you know. I'm just guessing there's nobody last night that was getting together to have an idol woodland party and covering it with gold put it on Pinterest. But we do struggle with distractions, don't we? One commentator said it this way, usually we're tempted to laugh at the ancient pagans for their primitive worship. We wonder how anyone could ever bow to an idol made of silver and gold. But is it any less ridiculous to spend our time staring at computers or compulsively watching television? Will we get caught up in the media, the entertainment around us while our spiritual life suffers. We find it hard to devote ourselves to prayer and the study of God's Word. We have trouble concentrating on spiritual things. We lose our appetite for communion with Christ. We would rather be entertained than to worship. Friends, we need to be aware that this is our gravitational pull. We, we, we are pulled towards entertainment. I, I am as well as so many of you this morning. And so knowing this about ourselves, we need to push back the distractions and ask ourselves honestly, am I truly here to worship God today? And how do we know who that God is? He's revealed Himself to us in His Word. And how do we know what to worship about Him? He's revealed it to us there in His Word. And it takes great effort for us to push those things back this moment each Lord's day and to give our attention and our devotion to this Creator God. The Word tells us, teaches us how we should do this. It teaches us who we should worship. And then third, the Word teaches us why we should worship. Simply put, worship should be our response to encountering the glory of God. That this is the pattern we have throughout the Scripture. People They encountered the glory, the holiness, the majesty, the the awe of God, and their response was to worship. Now, understandably, here, after the Ten Commandments, the people's first response is they're scared, they're fearful. But but God does what for them in their fear? He he gives them this mediator in Moses, and then He continues to give them His word. He's he's drawing them into worship. What were they wanting to do? They were wanting to retreat and move away. And God here is saying, no, come to me, come to me. Here's how you worship me. Here's how you make these sacrifices. The Word reminds us of why we should worship. We should worship in light of the holiness of the greatness of God. You see, God uniquely designed every one of us to be responsive. There's a reason that we cheer at the ball game when our team gets the touchdown. There's there's a reason that we get excited and we celebrate when things happen a certain way. There's a reason that we look to the sky and see the moon lift the sun and the amazing majesty of that and and we respond because God created us to be responsive beings. But His fundamental desire for us is to respond to Him in His glory and sin taints that. Sin replaces what should be an affection for God for an affection for lesser things. My goodness, don't we have affection for lesser things today? I get excited about a pizza sometimes. (laughs) we get so excited about such little pleading things, And all along the while, our Creator God is saying, Look, look here. Look look to me. Look to my goodness and my grace and my mercy. Look to my word and worship. Worship. Not anything else, but Him and Him alone. And why? Because it is a response to the great things He has done. Now here... There's a very different response called for, I believe, today than what we read in Exodus 20. And you notice here in Exodus 20, God goes through the details of the altar and the sacrifices, the burnt offerings, the peace offerings. We worship differently today, don't we? So fundamentally, just to make sure we all understand this, we're all clear on this, what I'm standing on, this is not an altar. Now, you want me to explain that? There's no blood on it. I'm pretty sure nobody brought an animal to sacrifice today. Maybe one of you have one out in the truck. You're going to bring it in later. Don't do that. We we, we don't bring animals to sacrifice anymore. We we don't have an altar that this is wood and carpet. It's a stage. It's a raised platform. It's not an altar, friends. We, We don't have an altar call at the end of our service. We have an invitation, a time of response, but... But but this is not an altar like the altar we see there in Exodus 20. No, the altar there was for people to bring blood sacrifices to so that their sin could be atoned for so that they could be in right fellowship with God. And yet, what do we see throughout the Old Testament? That system wasn't sufficient. And so God actually, while commanding His people to do this very thing, He'll tell His people, that doesn't do it. That doesn't atone for your sin. I don't take pleasure in those things. And what he was doing was laying the groundwork to point them towards a a true and greater sacrifice that would come in our Lord Jesus. See, all the way back in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God made that blood sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve, but it it didn't atone for their sin. But God said that a sacrifice would come that would atone for their sin. He said one would come that would crush the head of the enemy. And the entire Bible points towards this Amazing event where Jesus Christ, the the pure, unblemished lamb, the, the, the sacrifice that was pointed towards every time the blood of a lamb or a goat or an animal was shed on an altar, it all pointed towards Jesus who would ultimately go to the cross, whose blood would be shed. He who knew no sin would take on the due consequence and penalty of sin for you and I so that we might have life. And Jesus there would die in our place. So we don't come together and worship today by looking to an altar and looking to an animal sacrifice. We come together and worship today looking to Jesus and the full and complete sacrifice He has made in our place for our sin. That's why we worship. We worship because Jesus has atoned for sin Once and for all. And that means a couple of great things. One, we don't have to drag those animals in here. And I don't think that many of you are, or i to say any, I don't think any of you are tempted to do that. But let me tell you what else that means. That means you don't have to drag your weak attempts at good deeds in here either. Because that's the sacrifice many of us think we're making today. Oh, if I just try hard enough, do good enough. I messed up here, so I'll do better here. I'm just trying my best. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. They weren't perfect, but they sure were a good person. If anybody deserves heaven, it's them. That's the sacrifice we think we need to bring. And yet God's Word says what? Our best attempts are filthy, rags. There's nothing in the world that I can do this morning that's going to turn the head of my creator, righteous, holy God and have him look at me and say, well, Richard, that that was a pretty good job right there. (laughs) Let me just give you a mark on the good side of things. Now maybe my good will outweigh my bad a little bit. No. No, left to myself and left to yourselves, the scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death. And so if you're here this morning and you're under this idea that if you're just a good person, that's going to get you into heaven, let me clearly say this. You are going to hell. Your works are rubbish. And in fact, they're not even just rubbish. That they're an insult to a creator God who, in his grace and goodness and mercy towards you, put his son on the cross to die in your place and in my place. And by thinking that somehow your works will achieve your righteousness, you are saying, and I am saying to that holy God, Christ's death wasn't good enough. I gotta put the icing on the cake. Oh, yeah, I know Christ had to die for sin, but but you know, I gotta make up the difference here, don't I? No. No, the gospel says plainly that God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the good news of the gospel is if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Should you do good things? Absolutely, those works should flow from an authentic faith and repentance. Those works don't earn us righteousness before God. And so our response to that good news, that reality, that I don't have to try harder or do harder or vow or give more or go more or serve more or do more in order to earn favor, our response to that should be one of worship and praise. God's done it all for us. Jesus once and for all has paid for us. And so the question for us today is, are we worshiping God or not? Are we worshiping God in the way that God desires to be worshipped? Have we made the Lord's Day about what we want? Or is it about what glorifies God the most? Are we truly worshiping God? Does He have our devotion and our affection and our attention and our focus this morning? Or is it in a hundred different places? Because in reality, when it comes down to it, those are the driving forces in our life. Why are we here today? Are we here out of routine, out of obligation? And if that's the case, I'm glad you're here still because God sovereignly has you here so that you can hear the gospel and repent of your obligations and routines and trust in Christ so that you might rightly worship Him. And so in response to God's word this morning, you don't have to go get a goat and a knife. (laughs) In response to His word this morning, I would invite you just to worship Him And perhaps, maybe for the first time in a long time, perhaps for the first time ever, to just sing to God and to think about these words. Not your preferences, (laughs) not your feelings. Some of you, you feel awful this morning. Some of you are just suffering today. Some of you are doing good to get out of bed this morning. Some of you are just overwhelmed by the burdens and anxiety of life. And I've got good news for you. And we're about to sing about it. Jesus Christ reigns king. And we can trust in him. And a day's coming where there's no more sickness and no more suffering and no more doctor appointments, no more hospitals, no more phone calls late at night, and no more death and no more funerals. There's a day coming when all things are made new. And when we sing about the glory of God, we look towards these things. That's why we worship, friends. And so our response today, I pray, will be one of simply worshiping. And so I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for me, and I'm going to pray that we can just spend a couple of minutes undistracted just worshiping God if you need someone to pray for you, to counsel with you, I'll be down here. Other pastors are available. But our invitation today primarily is let's just spend a few moments in this fallen world, in this world that just surrounds us with anxiety and grief and suffering and worry. Let's just pull that back for a moment and let's just worship God together. If you would stand with me as I pray. Father God, I pray in this moment that we would respond to Your Word with worship. That, that Lord, You would empower us through Your Holy Spirit in these moments not to be distracted, not to be worried, not to be anxious, but, Lord, just to worship You. I pray, God, during this time that You would would lift the burden of those who are overwhelmed this morning. I pray, God, that You would encourage the faint-hearted, that You would strengthen the weak and Lord that you would admon- admonish the unruly that you would use your word and use our response to it to accomplish these things we ask in Christ's name amen